That's a good question. Thank you for asking. Welcome to our new show, everybody. Good question. So great to have you here as we debut this program. My name is Curtis Childs, and I will be hosting this. Yeah, I know some things never change. And rounding out the panel here tonight, we have some heavy hitters. Cara, Dom, Latin consultant for the NCE. Thanks so much for coming. Chelsea Odner, among many other things, writer for Swedenborg and Life. And... There's a person that you haven't seen yet, but she's very much here. We have hailing from Michigan, Karin Childs, also writer for Swedenborg and Life. Thanks for joining yep. us, Karin. Hello, happy to be here. And, you know, some things should change, but some things stay the same. We still want to hear what's on your mind. So if you're there in the chat room, ask us anything. We would love it to be Swedenborg related, and because we want we want to you know muse over that in real time and include you all in the conversation. So we're going to get to your questions. Start typing them in now. But first, if you have another hand free, like and subscribe. That's very important to our channel. Continuing to uh, let YouTube know that it's something that's worth getting out to people, so that someday they will be asking their own questions. Right? Okay. So let's uh, let's see if we've got one already. I know it's early in the show, but let's uh, let's jump right jump into in. it. What's the first one? Okay. Created Being asks, Jesus repeatedly says that he was sent by his Father in several verses. Who is he referring to? Confusing. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't it, you know, it seemed easier before Swedenborg because you would just say, oh, there's a, there's a Father God and a Jesus God. But so Swedenborg is saying, no, there's, there's one God. So how do we cope with this uh, discrep seeming discrepancy? Is there any way? Well, um... Yeah. So I could get us started at least that, um, so Swedenborg talks about how, so God is the divine human one and that uh, is who God is and was and will be and everything. Yeah. And that, but in order to be present um, on earth through this whole process of salvation that was essential um, for the human race, the Lord took on a human form who was Jesus, but that had this heredity from um, the mother Mary. And so then that uh, ended up, I mean, as a vessel that then had to become aware of its divine identity of mm. the, so the father is the divine soul. And then Jesus is the, the human part that had to go through the divine design of uniting with the divine soul. And so the process that we all go through in waking up to our inner higher selves, but in Jesus, it was a process of actually uniting with that divine soul. Yeah, this is sometimes even with yourself, it seems like, oh, I'm, I'm in tune with my higher self or just like, oh, come on, why don't I have it mm -hmm. today? But this is just amplified in, in Jesus's case. Mm -hmm. Cara, do you have any further? Uh, yeah, my thoughts are right now about um, that Jesus had a couple of different states that he sort of balanced between when he was on earth. And one of them was about in this state of being more in the human body part of himself and sort of in the process of emptying out his human inclinations. And the other one was more in a state of connection with mm -hmm. the, the uh, father at yeah. his core, the, the divine human at his core. And so you can see in some parts of the Bible, he's very connected and very, like, he's very powerful and yeah. very godish. And in other places, he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So um, it's just interesting to notice, like, where the, where, yeah, it was sent by his father. Just 
yeah. Which which of those states might mm-hmm. have he been in in these statements? Totally. So, Karin, do you have uh, thoughts off of that? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it can be really hard for us to wrap our heads around unless we really get that we we ourselves have a higher self and a lower self, like you guys have been mentioning, and that we can be like in one and not aware well, in the lower self and kind of forget the higher perspective that we sometimes get um, tuned into. And so Jesus took on this same condition that, or God took on this same condition in Jesus as we are in, which is to have a lower self perspective that sometimes loses touch with the, with the higher, the higher perspective. And like Carl was saying, that's how sometimes Jesus would feel disconnected and then sometimes aware and and connected. And so sent by the father, I just trying to think of different ways you could phrase that to kind of make sense of it. So it's like God, God, the divine sent this adaptation of himself to us to be, to come down to the level that we're at, at in the earthly level and be with us and, and help us, you know, to, to regenerate and get to heaven. And, and you could also think of it as um, sent by Jesus was sent by the divine intent. Like I could have a, an intent that sends me somewhere to adapt to a situation and, and help somebody there. And so those are a couple of ways that I use to try to wrap my head around it. Um, Higher perspective of God uh, and um, sent by uh, the divine intent, the divine purpose, or, or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. doesn't doesn't um, Swedenborg write about the Father being divine love? Like the Father is a correspondence with divine love. And if you think about the intent or purpose behind something, making it what it is, this is a major theme in in Swedenborg's yes. works. Is that what the soul of something is its purpose? And so if the Father, which is love for everyone in the human race, that's the purpose that sent this Jesus thing, this Jesus mission. To happen, and um, I don't know if this relates, but I want to talk about it because I read it <laughs> just very recently. It was one of these things that I'm sure they just stuck into divine providence, like you, you guys mm-hmm. must have, because I never saw it there before. But <laughs> it was talking about our our personal sense of autonomy, and how Swedenborg posits that we actually we live from God. God's life is coming into us, so we're really sort of you know we don't we can't exist on our own, but yet we have this sense that we do, and that it's so important for us to have that. Um, and how that works in angels is that they they consider themselves to be led by the Lord, which I could I could see us being set, sent by the Lord. And the way that it works, though, he gave like this mechanical breakdown, which is that they can tell that, that the divine, which I guess would be like the Father in this case, is flowing into their motivation or their love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then the, the ideas and, and perceptions and, and things that they get around that seem to be their own. So they sort of see mm. this partnership in it. Isn't it weird that there's always this sort of... A balancing act, and we're going to see this in our in uh, the spoiler alert for our short clip that's coming up. I mean, there's there's a guest story about a woman who had an NDE, and she was saying, uh, you know, sometimes I felt like I was more spirit, sometimes I felt like more body. So mm-hmm. there's always this balancing, um, and we see Jesus kind of doing this on the the grand scale. And mm-hmm. I think that that linguistic like connection of it is is important too. Like Swedenborg didn't sort of layer on that understanding of father, but that he says it's intrinsic to the Bible to talk in terms of father and mother as sort of code language for father as divine love and mother as divine truth. And that's the way it's reflected in the Ten Commandments of honor your father and your mother. But another way Swedenborg talks about that love-truth dynamic is 
the um, substance and form. And so that love is the substance or that intent and purpose. And then, but it needs mm. truth to give it form and have those ideas that it can work through. And so that, uh, and it's fascinating that, you know, as divine love or Jesus having this divine father um, or like soul that, um, that then this whole thing of how in Swedenborg's terms, he took on this heredity of Mary, the, the truth of the time, which was really had been turned into falsity. It was like a mis there was misconception around who God was and what life was all about. And so in order to entirely reframe that, he recreated and became a full expression of divine truth, like that Jesus is divine. He became divine truth through his life, um, in the world. And that truth then was united to the divine soul and was able to reorder everything for everyone. Um, and, uh, we get into that in our show, the psychology of Jesus. If you want to watch more about that right after this show is done, go over that one. Yes. <laughs> well, the, okay. Well, this could be the, the last thing we have to say about it, but everything spurs something else. And we talk about, um, Jesus as divine truth. You know, Jesus mm -hmm. is the word made flesh that, mm -hmm. that is divine truth and divine truth always acts on behalf of divine love. And, and that in each one of us, it's our will that actually the intellect acts on behalf of. So to, for Jesus, who's divine truth, to say I was sent by the Father, which is divine love, mm. of course. That's, that's how everything works. Jesus is describing how everything works. Okay, cool. Good. Good question. <laughs> good, hey, question. good question. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at the next one. I have not thought quite no, seriously. I have thought. Oh. <clears throat> Latin consultant <laughs> and English consultant. I have thought quite seriously about this question. Sounds like I'm not, but seriously, do you think God created life out of boredom and loneliness? Mm. And, Good question. Well, this all this, kind of question. this all goes back to, well, one time I really wanted a fish tank. Is it the same feeling when God was like, I, I just really want to have a human tank yeah. that's got a bunch of people, and in that case, when things are not going well for you or you're suffering, you're like, well, you got more fish than you can handle, God. Like, you shouldn't have done that. There's a one-inch-per-gallon limit on a fish tank. So what's God doing? What Was God uh, filling a need? You know, what, what does everybody think about that? Um, Karin, do you want to start us off? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the first things that are coming to my mind is um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think it would be things like boredom and loneliness. Those are... Uh, you know, Swedenborg and the Bible both say that God's feelings and thoughts are so beyond what we can imagine. And I feel like those are lower level feelings, boredom and loneliness. Um, but I do re remember Swedenborg talking about that God had a yearning. God was um, just was divine love and wisdom, a union of those but love and wisdom have this yearning to be useful, yearning to serve, yearning to put that love into action, you know, have the love go into action, the wisdom create something out of that love. And so I believe God created out of a yearning um, to share the divine love with, with somebody and to serve with it um, so that it wouldn't just exist and Swedenborg uh, learned that it isn't even, uh, you know, love and wisdom become actualized and more real and fulfilled in having something to serve, some somebody to love and somebody to share that with. So those are my initial thoughts. 
Great. Yeah. So boredom, lower level boredom, also time related. You, know, you get more bored mm. the farther a long time goes, but to God, all time is the present. So I don't know if you could get bored like that, but any other thoughts? Um, the thought that came to me was uh, Swedenborg describes the definition of what it is to love or mm -hmm. the divine love, which is to love someone outside of yourself. Wait, what are they? Help me. Um, love to, to make them happy from yourself. Yeah. To be and, in, and yeah, to the, render them blessed or something mm -hmm. like that. Are yeah. that. Is that, did I miss mm -hmm. one? I think you got it. Pretty so much. So if, that, if that's what's behind love, for any of us, imagine what's behind divine love, the, you know, the thing that is more than anything else in the universe. Right. Um, it must be a pretty powerful drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sort of the opposite of boredom and loneliness kind of is, and I think Karen just described it so well, but I just think of joy, you know, that there is this, uh, the joy of getting, of creating, of that love and wisdom coming together and then creating forms and vessels that can then be in partnership with it and just expand and magnify that joy that you get to experience because then these creation is just a um, joyful thing in that way and um, so I just think that that's a useful word yeah mm. yeah <laughs> if we're looking at like yeah, what, what was the initial point of it what drove God to do it uh, like what what is God trying to do now might like sort of breadcrumb us back there and I know because I read it in Divine Providence just recently <laughs> is the, the things God is trying to do uh, are they, they has this cool little list around like 43 or 44 or something that's um, uh, unite with us it's always about mm -hmm. uniting so that mm -hmm. that's something that God mm -hmm. is striving to do and also to give us this sense of identity it was in the same mm -hmm. same section um, but also to make us continue to become wiser and happier mm -hmm. so something about the the point of it is that God wants us to be happier and happier and wiser and wiser. And I don't know if that's the same as just that's what happens when you unite more. That's just the nature of it. Or if it's really like uh, my driving thing is to get you to feel as good as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. But he said all those are components of heaven. And so that's mm -hmm. the that's the point. Um, so that mm -hmm. so, yeah, it seems like it was I could see, you know, if there was a grand debate around this, people could argue it's it's like a the the positive um, uh, rendition of loneliness because there needed right. to be something to right. connect with yeah. for all this stuff like I do I wouldn't I would entertain the idea that that God is I get I'm struck by lightning but somehow incomplete <laughs> without you know like not in but like in a way yeah. like the yeah. point is to like love something if the nature of love like you're saying is to love something outside of yourself well until there's something Hey oh, God, um, drive, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so something like we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, how I mean, I mean, and yeah. The word talks about the Lord, like I'm gonna fulfill my purpose, you know. And before anything was, I had this drive, and I'm gonna fulfill it. And yeah. um, I can't be pulling out chapter and verse from my mind, but Swedenborg does write about just how you know the whole created universe is toward that goal that you just lined out with yeah. in divine providence, you know. So it's like, which is just. I mean, it blows my mind, you know, I can't understand it, but it's an awesome thought. And, and, and like, really, like, this is the direction to get there? Like, if right, you the just, wisdom that like is in, like... <laughs> he just, like, took a screenshot of life, and, like, yeah. there's a way that that's where this is headed. Are you serious? Yeah, right. right <laughs> just, we just got the first screenshot of the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Somehow that's in the bigger picture. Right. 
correspondence mania. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Thanks so much for that question. It was a great one. Let's, uh, it's a great one. I mean, a good uh, one. It's a good, uh, it's good. A really it's good. good question. Yeah. Okay, next one. In heaven, do we experience the joys and pains of this life? This life. Mm. And perhaps the greatest pain, will we be able to converse with? <laughs> so two-part question. Um, and uh, you, anyone want to take uh, one of the parts or, or both of the parts uh, to start out? Well, I'll just put out there that I do think people probably go knocking to find Swedenborg. <laughs> I yeah. think there's a lot of people who have since been impacted by his writings yeah. that he, I think he's getting an ever-growing number of people knocking yeah. at his spiritual door. <laughs> and, and he did it to other people. Yeah, right. we, we're just in the process of completing this show about the, the people Swedenborg sought out to go right, talk to. Right. So, yeah. you know, you get goes around, comes around. Yep. That's true. <laughs> Although Swedenborg does talk about how some of the heavy hitters like, uh, you know, Moses right. and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yeah. They have like impersonators that handle the crowds because yes. there's so many people that yes. want to see no. And yet so. something, okay, so this is, this is. I'm sorry for this tangent, but I was recently reading one of the numbers where he describes that sort of a thing, and I've always thought like, ah, oh, what a lame trick, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. come on. But there was something about the language, like the impersonator gives this sense of like, you know, like an Elvis impersonator. You yeah, know? Yeah, like, right. I, I, like, I'm not going to be satisfied yeah. by hearing the Elvis impersonator play a song. I want to hear Elvis or something. <laughs> but the, in the way that the spiritual world can work, you know, like Swedenborg mm. talks about how angels could be so full with mm. the Lord that they really called themselves the Lord and were the Lord appearing to people and they didn't think anything of themselves and they just sort of served that use for a moment. There was something more of that quality to Swedenborg mm. describing like some connection system that it's not that you're just getting a fake, you know, uh, and you yeah. paid full price <laughs> and you're getting this fake experience. Yeah. It's somehow the real deal and yet, I don't know, mm. there's some... Yeah, sorry to throw Median. that in there. No. Well, it's just such, that's yeah. such an in, like I've thought that I've never had a different thought about yeah. it. So I just recently had one about that very idea. So I just needed to share. No, but I want and like throw everything in there. Because I do want to <laughs> right. like we got to be able to weigh these ideas mm -hmm. in, the, in the mind, or they they're like a statue. Sweet mm. work says. Okay, Karen, <laughs> hey, do you have any thoughts? Yes, um, I uh, regarding this seeing Swedenborg or seeing any celebrity type person. One other thought to throw in there is that if you imagine if someone is well known a celebrity there would be a lot of people wanting to see that person who maybe wouldn't have a real connection like it wouldn't be a mutual um thing you know, you know what i mean like there would be if you imagine a celebrity and just crowds keep wanting to follow him or her everywhere um that would be kind of a not a very heavenly life for that person and so it seems like there would for the to get together with the real person, there'd have to be something really mutual that would draw you both yeah. to each other, and so that's just another thought I have about that, and and that there might be a difference between someone who really wanted to talk to Swedenborg from a shared love um, versus somebody who just ooh that would be cool to see Swedenborg or something, you know. So I think there's, but but there would be some way that everyone would be satisfied and, <laughs> and get fulfilled. Um, the other part of the question um, about do we continue to go through the pains of this life in heaven, um, I would say no, not the way we do on earth, that yes, angels still 
uh, go through uh, cycles and work on their stuff and continue to get purified. But um, it would be a whole different ballgame than on Earth, where we're so we're so close to hell, basically. I mean, hell can have so much access to us here. And um, one person that uh, I know who who had a communication with somebody in the afterlife, that person in the afterlife said, it's so wonderful to not have new um, negativity thrown at you all the time that you're, you're released from that. And you just have your own, you know, stuff that was already in you to, to gradually uh, work through and you're not getting bombarded by new negativity all the time. And so I think that heaven is a state of being held safe from I think it's where the Lord can hold you safe from your negativity. And, um, you know, gradually as you consent to each thing being um, stirred up and removed, then you get to be safe from that. And and so unlike on earth where we, it feels like going through the same things over and over and over, it never feels like it's getting any better, even though it really is. Um, I've, I believe heaven will feel very different than that, that you really will feel your progress much more clearly and you won't be um, taken down into the kinds of <laughs> depths that we suffer here on earth. Yeah, and, and that some of that uh, processing happens in the world of spirits before you get to heaven. And there it seems right. like, depending, it can be that you experience stuff that's just as high and low as we experience here. But there are other times when you kind of process that almost in like a sleeping cocoon kind of state. Mm. So, but by the time you've gotten up into heaven, and I think the original question m mentioned heaven. I think right. that I there, there's different that we just have these, heaven, these right. broad labels of joy and pain, mm -hmm. um, but there's probably a million subspecies of pain, and I know that there's like very different things. Some things that are unpleasant, you can sense the progress and, and joy in them, whereas other things just feel like, yeah, this is, this is just styrofoam. Like I, there's, mm -hmm. I can't get any nutrients out of this thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then I had one last thought on uh, seeing Swedenborg in the afterlife. Nice. Um, which is the way that he describes celebrity, now that I'm thinking of it, varies a lot because he talks about he talks about people who have these sort of like systems where you can't quite go see them, but mm -hmm. other people do. But then he all talks about some people who seem to be like uh, Aristotle's coming up in a show of ours. It seems like people still go try to see Aristotle. He still has acolytes that so he's, he's right. like run in a similar game that he did here. But then there are other people, Swedenborg talks about saints in the afterlife mm -hmm. who uh, are not allowed to be told that people are praying to them and stuff because that that would corrupt them, you know. Mm -hmm. As and it seems like it's mm -hmm. all about what your state is too. Like if Swedenborg was actually right. a very selfish, narcissistic guy, he's probably not going to be available for that stuff because that would that would swell his head. There was a and then there's one um, spiritual experiences number I believe where there's somebody who is very highly regarded on Earth may may have also been some kind of religious figure, and I think she's in a uh, a heaven and some people want to go see her and she appears to them and she's basically um, chews them out. She's saying, listen, in my community, um, nobody knows who I am and I'm actually not considered one of the better ones in my community. I'm pretty much a nobody there. It's silly to, to venerate right. me like this. I, you know, I'm, I'm nobody special. So it's this very interesting, uh, it's not a one size fits all kind of yeah. thing. Totally, yeah, there'd be yeah. so much variety and that any whatever the circumstances are would be useful for both, you know, yeah. for like the right, right thing for both or whoever's involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be great magic. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. The joy and pain part, um 
I'm just thinking that Swedenborg, like Karin mentioned, the cycles. Swedenborg talks about morning states and evening states. And so I remember getting really bummed out thinking, what, we're going to get like depressed and doubtful and like that kind of evening sort mm -hmm. of sundowning kinds of things. But it's a continual cycle. And if we have eternity to work on it. But the joy part, you know, it's a realm of mutual love. I can't think of anything that sounds more joyful than right. that to me. <laughs> yes. So I, I think the joy part's going to be good. Not too bad. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Thank you for uh, bringing us some joy with that question. Let's do let's do another one before our before our mid show break here. Okay. This is from Jacob Israel who asks: Do you believe people today can have a deeper understanding of God than Swedenborg? For example, is his insight fallible and incomplete or perfect? Hmm. What do you think? And will we get keep fired? Keep that question up for a little while. I don't yeah. have something to write with. Okay. <laughs> will we get fired if we say Swedenborg didn't know something on this show? <laughs> what do you guys think? Well, I'm happy to go first on this one. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So I think there are certain ways that people can have a deeper understanding of God than Swedenborg. Is that we like, like even within the Swedenborgian tradition, we get a major head start because we get to read Swedenborg. And he he didn't he didn't have those insights you know he you know it, it all came to him very strongly but totally. you know he didn't have all this developmental time to kind of weigh those and and put those in uh, also you know we you know I remember our show on spiritual fermentation and that we're looking at the correspondences of the process of fermentation that Swedenborg is saying look these things uh, correspond the, the the way that things ferment but we know so much more about that process now right. so we can understand so much more in depth that and if we learn correspondences i would certainly hope that that's not where it pinnacled oh know? yeah but but um anyway i have a couple other but i'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that um yeah i do think that um there are there are uh very clear uh i don't know how to turn fallible into just okay false or like flawed things in Swedenborg. Yes. I mean, just, he was limited. I mean, it's, we've, I've wanted to do a full study and maybe someday someone will, but I don't, as far as I know, know of anybody doing a comprehensive study of studying what things that he states that seem to be beyond his ability to understand in his life, like according to the biological understanding of the world during his time. Sometimes yeah. he seems to know, understand things that people haven't discovered yet. So he seems, and yet in other ways, he's, He's very much still limited by his understanding, um, and uh, particularly when it comes to like, or one of the examples is like um, plant reproduction, um, and just thinking, not understanding the different elements of it that we can understand now. So, um, but uh, Swedenborg also talks about, so well, two other thoughts. One is revelations continuing to happen and so, so I do think there's a way that he, he was a receiver of a revelation in his time and place that served a very important purpose, um, but that, that he has one number where he says a very similar revelation is happening at the same time in some part of Africa. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so there would be this um, growing like connection to spiritual wisdom that he was saying this is only gonna there's only gonna be more of this you know he's the yeah. beginning of it um and uh uh so that is a fascinating element and the other thing just jumped out of my mind so <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to it soon karen do you want to um weigh in yeah i would say swedenborg himself would be the first to say he was definitely not perfect in his understanding 
And I'm really grateful to him, to the amazing job he did to just uh, understand, learn, and share so much. But yeah, it's really just the beginning. And um, I, I remember there was one quote from his diary that we had in a show once where he was talking about that the cons his writings were just crude vessels. <laughs> I think some spirits were harassing him and saying, oh, your writings are terrible. And he was saying, yeah, they are just crude vessels, but the Lord will be able to use them to start opening people's minds um, so that more and more love and wisdom can can start to come in. So he, he played this really important role at a crucial point uh, um, in spiritual history. Um, but yeah, the point is not that he is the end, you know, the, the final information, but that he um, helped to open this up and um, so that we can continue. And like you were saying, he, he was able to, he had an incredible mind for his times. And so he was able to receive a lot that, that corresponded to all that. But as you say, as, as a human race, we're continuing to learn more and more uh, scientifically and psychologically and all sorts of things. And so that those are new containers that can receive even more. Um, uh, so uh, that will continue. So <laughs> not, not perfect, wonderful guy, wonderful information, but uh, definitely not perfect. And it's gonna keep going and keep growing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My only thought is that if we indeed are eternal beings, you know, and if heaven is just filling up with eternal beings and we are perfecting continually to eternity and we have an effect on the world, that the world's just got to be getting better and better. Yes. yes. So, so our, our understandings of everything, including God, must yeah. be improving through the centuries. Very cool. Yes. Please, Good. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? What, can you just bring up the question yeah, one more can time? You, can you leave it up there? Okay. Um, okay. Do you believe people today can have a deeper understanding of God than Swedenborg? I And I want to say um, on the old Swedenborg subject is that I definitely would love nothing more than if Sw I felt like Swedenborg's books were absolutely infallible. And I could, and they were the, the key to life, and you just get in there and do it. And there are su sections of those that I feel like this is per like this is Mozart. This is like even the way that he wrote it, the 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 the, the, the concepts in here. This is like lightning. This mm -hmm, is so perfect. Mm -hmm. Then there's other parts when I'm reading when I feel like okay, let me get get past this. Right. And sometimes <laughs> it's because like later I'll come back, but but it doesn't strike me as hard. And then there are certainly parts where I feel like that nah, that just can't be right. And and I and I don't feel like I feel like he would. If you could talk to him today, say like, "Oh yeah, that's not right. Here, here's what's yeah. right." Um, but, but, so I, yeah, I, as much as I would love it if I could just feel like, <clears throat> nope, it's Swedenborg's got the answers to everything. I don't think he quite does. However, all is I think he's got, still his set of books represents the best, the most complete picture of life anywhere in the world. Right. That that I think even if he's not completely perfect on some things, he's got the whole picture more than any other single mm -hmm. source. And really, even all these things we can advance on now are just because of, I can we can stand on his uh, ideas where he had so many things that he's got, I feel like, are just unheard of 
in the world. But then also, and, and, and in conclusion, um, <laughs> I, when I say we can build on his ideas and insights, even if we come to, can come to conclusions that are beyond those, I think it would be very rare to get to the condition that he was in, which is, mm. at least currently, which is that he could have this immediate perception of the source of his thoughts and feelings and know what spiritual community they came from and how they affected the body and all that. I don't anticipate myself getting there mm-hmm. in my lifetime, but I think that's sort of the angelic state. And hopefully down the road, your average person is in that state. Mm, but but I think right. that would, that today, I don't think people today, it would be, you could have a few better ideas in Swedenborg, but um, you'd be you'd be very fortunate to get to a more acute state <clears throat> of perception than he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully yeah. that doesn't last. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully he becomes really lame in a, in a hundred years or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, yeah. And I do, I do think that like, uh, can people have a deeper understanding of God than Swedenborg? It just makes me think of that. The other thing I was thinking of, and relates to what you're saying about um, our sense of autonomy, and the whole design is for everyone is invited into this super deep understanding of God. And like Swedenborg says, that our identity has so much to do with how we are in relationship to God. And so it's not like whose is deeper. There's that's sort of the beauty of heaven is that you have all of these angels who have developed super deep relationships with God, and then they each get to express that, those unique qualities of God to other people through their unique vessel hood, you know? And yeah. so Swedenborg, he got to do some great things during his life, and he's still doing amazing, you know, reflection of that in heaven, I'm sure. And then there's going to be, you know, he was definitely very intellectual and, you know, or so, in some ways. So you just wonder, like, just different angels that you could learn from. They all would have, um, and I mean, and we all are angels in training. So it's right. hard to read his question of, like, well, is it now or then or when he was on Earth? Or, right. But so. Yeah. People definitely can have as deep of an understanding of God as Swedenborg. Well, this is a good segue, saying. good segue into mm-hmm. our uh, video here, because we have, we have here, uh, we got to sit down and have a, an interview with somebody who had a very profound, what are, what are called near-death experiences. So this would be people in the modern day having access, you know, be, behind the scenes to what life is really like. And um, her name is Trisha Barker, and I actually met her at a near-death experience conference that I was speaking about, Swedenborg about, and she mentioned that a lot of the stuff Swedenborg was describing um, really synced up with not just her NDE, but the after effects, like the life afterwards. Mm. And that's, that Swedenborg is interesting because he's so much about the life we live, we continue to live. So just just got to hear a little bit of her, um, what, what, what her experience was like and how that changed her perspective on life. So we're going to get to tap into somebody's mm-hmm. connection with God or with higher reality right now. Yeah, so the near-death experience was, of course, profound and life-changing, and it changed me immediately, but those uh, after-effects were incredible. So that first couple of years after the near-death experience, I had a lot of -of out-of-body experiences, and some of those seemed to be stress-induced. You know, the the reason I was in the hospital was a car accident. So a big show that was on at the time was ER and I walked by, there was an ambulance, you know, a car wreck on the television. Suddenly I'm outside of my body and I'm looking down in the living room and I thought, this is really strange. Maybe my spirit is loosened from my physical form at this point. And, but beyond those random moments like that, those out of body experiences, I noticed that I had a thirst and a hunger for learning about spiritual literature. So I delved into things I'd never considered before, things I had not been interested in. I read a lot of Carlos Castaneda. I read a lot of, um, 
you know, the, the Bible, I reread parts of that again. I also just read a lot of mystics and anyone who appealed to me on that spiritual level. And I just delved into books and I, I learned to lucid dream and to really live in a different way. Meditation for me became this healing act. So I was in a body cast for a year or four months um, after my car wreck and then a brace for four more months. And I would just lay in bed in that body cast and meditate and imagine the body healing. And in general, I think that that helped, you know, with, with the process of healing. I think that those, those moments helped, but I also felt this weird connection to other people in a way that I hadn't felt before. And that oneness that I experienced in the near death experience, I began to feel at times when I eventually, after those eight or nine months, you know, of healing, I got on a bus one day and I just felt at one with everyone on the bus. I felt like I could understand their thoughts, what they'd been through. There were moments on a sidewalk where suddenly I would just meld with everyone. Uh, about a year after the near-death experience, someone asked me if I continued to see angels, if I continued to communicate with them because angels were a part of my near-death experience. And I didn't physically see them, but in the moment that my friend asked me that, I looked up suddenly the sidewalk was covered with angels. You know, there were two around every person. There were spirits in form walking around. And I thought this would be really distracting <laughs> if I saw this all the time. But I was also kind of overwhelmed and went to the bathroom and I, I felt like joyful, like the mystery of life was so amazing. I think in that moment that there's so much more that we don't understand. I think it was Kenneth Ring who said that near-death experiences give us a little glimpse into the afterlife, but Swedenborg really delved into the afterlife and this was his realm. And I thought, oh, so that glimpse that I had cracked my mind open, but really the life, my study afterwards and my experiences afterwards were widening that glimpse a little, that it was, you know, the near-death experience was like an explosion you know, of, oh my God, here I am agnostic. And now suddenly I know the spiritual reality as a reality. Uh, the, the life after was, was really one where I came to accept things gradually. I definitely changed. I couldn't even say that I was the same person. Sometimes I look back and I wondered if my soul had changed so intrinsically and so dramatically that, I, I mean, when I look back to who I was before, it looked like a different person. It truly did. I mean, things as different as I was introverted before the experience, I became extroverted and driven to help others. You know, that idea of teaching and lecturing and, you know, talking like this, not something I would ever have wanted to do before. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to um, make a lot of money. It was very materialistically driven thought I might go to law school after working a bit and in other realms. And then after this experience though, I, people matter so much, you know, other people's soul journeys and their experience in this world. Like, I think there's a lot of people who I saw initially after the near death experience who weren't connected to that joy of the afterlife and that joy that I know is possible in nature and when we study these things. And so I was quite driven to do that. But overall, I would just say that I was very aware of my spirit so much so that sometimes I felt more like a spirit than this body. And that was very confusing. So a lot of my interactions with people were 
uh, innocence in nature. And, you know, I, I remember coming back and just exuding love and hugging people and, you know, wanting to give love. And a lot of near-death experiencers talk about that and it's not always accepted. <laughs> you know, like it can be seen as strange or flirtatious or odd or, you know, many different things. And it really was just this unconditional flow of love from the other side that was quite innocent and childlike. So there was a growing up period, I think, after a near-death experience as well. But but I'm definitely a fan of um, Swinburne Foundation, his writings especially. As a poet myself, I love words that are beautifully crafted, and so I certainly appreciate his writings. So, and I want to get your reaction to that in a second, but I want to let all of you know that uh, you can check out more of her, Trisha's material at trishabarkernde.com. Also, tomorrow, April 16th, she's got a brand new memoir coming out, Angels in the OR, and you can get that Simon & Schuster, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places where the book stuff happens. So please take a look uh, if you want to hear more of that story and sort of her connection to God. Uh, so, yeah, would, would anything in there uh, strike you guys? So many things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing, just that concept of sort of a PTS, PTSD kind of thing where she was repeating her out-of-body experiences mm -hmm. around the, like the ER show. It's, right. I'd never thought of that, but uh, yeah, that's just very striking. And the thought of having to grow up again after an experience like that. Like yeah. she, like it was sort of a reset for her whole life. It's just amazing to think about right 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 chelsea yeah i feel like i there were so many things but i feel like i was struck by um her describing how um she felt she changed so much you know she's a, did my soul change or did she come into a fuller place in her own soul you know yeah. like and that's i just think that's cool that we might not even recognize ourselves in who we become as we continue on this path wherever the lord is leading us and yet we will feel so much uh, as ourselves you know just mm. and uh so that's cool to hear her reflect on her experience yeah and that she was saying oh i didn't know if i was a spirit or a body and also that i that simultaneously became so much more interested in learning that if you really are a little more aware of the spiritual side and swedenborg says that truth is the, the spiritual nourishment mm -hmm. for you then if you're more aware of your spirit are you more aware of needing to feed it plus the, the two angels with everyone thing is, is very swedenborg karen do you yeah. have a reaction <laughs> Yeah, I was really struck by her talking about feeling more connected to other people. And it reminded me of another NDE story I recently heard where a man, he was in the hospital and was out of body walking through the hospital. And as he was seeing the people that worked there in the hospital, he was uh, able to know their whole life story, like know what they had been through. And he just loved them all so much. And she she was um, striking me too with that kind of experience like in spirit being able to um, connect with people on a deeper level and understand more about them and thus love them more very striking and I think Swedenborg has described that we can in spirit we can feel more and feel more deeply and it seems like she was experiencing that um, also related to some Howard Storm stories where she she was saying, I, I just wanted to <laughs> be very expressive of, of love and that wasn't always uh, welcomed. Um, Howard Storm experienced the same thing. He would just wanna say, it's all love, I love you to everybody. And they would just like think he was strange. <laughs> so how, how to handle that, those feelings, like just, she was 
describing um, needing to, to learn how to incorporate that into back into earthly life. And the last thing, just, just her mentioning how Swedenborg explored the whole house of uh, the Kenneth Ring quote. Um, she's reminding me of how the, that's one thing Swedenborg offers is he, this big, bigger structure that then everybody um, like her who has had an experience can kind of help fit their experience into that bigger structure and understand it a little better. So that was just a beautiful story she told, and I'm, I'm really happy to know about it. Awesome. All right, so let's skip back to our audience questions. Hopefully you've all had time to think of one or two in during the break, so let's see what we've got. This is from Matt Klein, who asks, if nothing is outside God and his creation, and God is incapable of anger, vengeance, or similar things, how can there be such things? <laughs> how do we create something God is incapable of? Does God look at when we throw a fit or something and say, I never thought of doing that? <laughs> or like, where'd you come up with that? <laughs> oh, I wish I had thought of that, because it's really effective in getting you what you want. Um, so what, what, where, what's the metaphysical source of, uh, of a something like that? Um, and uh, yeah, so do you want to start here? Or should I ask Karin about it um yeah go ahead you can we can Karin. pass to Karin can you hook us up <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that comes to me is the analogy of darkness and cold actually simply being an absence of something and so it's it's not like uh evil uh from what I understand is not really something in itself it's just an absence of something and so in that sense it's not you know, it's not a, it's not a created thing. It's something, what something looks like when you take the love out of it or take the uh, truth out of it. Um, and then the other um, thought I had is that when God incarnated as Jesus, um, he did experience all the negativity that, that we humans have gotten ourselves into. And so in that way, um, fully understands everything we go through, you know, uh, has experienced it through being Jesus on earth. And if you read the Psalms, which Swedenborg says are um, really expressing what Jesus went through in his life, you can see the, the tremendous ups and downs where he would feel this negativity and, and despair and, and even envy and thing, things like that, and then come back out. So just they're not things that God created. They're just an absence of things that God created. Uh, but but God knows all about them at the same time because he came down and experienced them. So those are my first thoughts. Absolutely. Does that uh, spark any further thoughts? Yeah, I think like there's it's that tricky thing of love and wisdom having this drive to live itself out in in. Um, usefulness and in wanting to give that love to something outside of itself like god understands that in order to uh get to have the joy of being in relationship and having these created vessels unite with god that part of that is um is freedom and that is our as of self like that swedenborg uses that's why it's like it's the one word that is so i I'm coming to love the Latin of it more and more because it is just proprium because we don't have a really good word for it because it is this concept that that isn't just ego because it it can be so transformative like it's it's our essential sense of self um, that is 
the avenue, like the thing that God's life flows into in, in us, and yet it's the very same thing that makes it feel as though we live of ourselves and have no connection to God. And God set it up that way so that we could consciously, as if of ourselves, turn to God and open ourselves to the joy of getting to have this love and wisdom in us and get to be in this eternal partnership with God and with each other in community. Um, but like what Karin was saying, how like when you when you have a created vessel that that over time or through the generations or whatever can start to um, not understand its connection to God, then uh, and hasn't opened itself up to love and truth, then you get the opposite of those things, which is evil and falsity. So if it's not if you're not living the love that is God, then you're just living for self and not for God. And and then you're only believing things that go along with that self-will and isn't interested in community and in God. And so, um, so in a set, like God understood what he was creating when, or, and understands what God is creating when he creates these vessels, uh, each of us. And um, even though that sort of runs the risk of, of everything that comes of it. And yet the Lord has a plan. And that's what Karen said so beautifully about Jesus getting to embody it all entirely and reorder everything mm-hmm. and make it, um, you know, uh, really glorify that human, which is what he offers to each of us, that human part of us to be glorified or to become an angel. So that's yeah. some thoughts on it. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, Somewhere Swedenborg talks about that the the apple of the Lord's eye is the freedom, the spiritual freedom mm-hmm. of each individual, and there's nothing that he cares more about um, protecting than that freedom. So that means we have to be free to turn our back on the Lord, and that casts that shadow, like Karen was talking mm-hmm. about, about the absence of the light coming from the Lord is where all that other stuff happens. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, can we put that question back up for a second? Um, so I know that there's part of this is how existentially could there be this thing? How could you get the funding to render something that's not from God? You know, like every evil thing has a, you know, like a visual that goes with it, like an evil act or a, a state of mind, like they, they ha- seem to have substance to them. Where does that come from? So I don't know if I can satisfy that, but I do want to say that it seems at times like Swedenborg is, is describing that everything comes from God, but it's, it's almost the raw material of everything comes from God. He gives the analogy multiple times that, look, the sun just mm-hmm. shines light down on the ground, but it makes poison ivy just like, like it, <laughs> what the plant turns it into, whatever that right. that stuff is that sits on the leaves of poison ivy and makes me afraid to do yard work you know that's that's <laughs> powered by the sun it's all about what you do with the material when you get it and i know that the, the you is coming from god as well but there must be some kind of deeper wisdom in that as well that and he he talks about like what is evil karen was talking about uh the absence of things it's also the reversal of things that he describes right. the minds of people who are in evils and falsities they have still what whatever vessels in, in the mind are they're reversed so they're mm-hmm. pointing the opposite direction mm-hmm. or the spiral is spiraling the opposite mm-hmm. direction that no matter what object you make there's if you turn it inside out it's a different thing and that that's what 
evil is. So I don't know if that's if that satisfies that, but but it's still the source the source material is that emanation from God, but you can flip it around and because Swedenborg will say everything comes out of God, but God's not responsible for evil, but he still makes it sound like there's a chain. The the way he lets God off the hook is like, look, God sent you, you something good, and you flipped it into something evil, and the next community of spirits flipped it into something worse and worse and worse, and that's where this evil ends up. So it's still, in a way, you're, you've, uh, God has bankrolled it, but you, you're not doing what the original agreement said you would do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just feeling drawn to mention, like, that Swedenborg describes talking to angels who I think he identifies, I mean, they're in the highest heaven, but they, I think he identifies them as people who had died as children or died very young, but that they had no idea what evil was and they didn't even think it existed. They just couldn't even fathom that there was such a thing as evil. And they were in just such a state of innocence in that way. And like, so our, our perspective on earth is very skewed for mm. feeling like evil is like 95% of the picture mm. and 5% joy, innocence. So we can't fathom that that we could exist in such a way where we would have no consciousness of evil. And yeah. yet there's multitudes of heaven where, you know, I don't know. I just think it's, it's just it's nice to sort of throw that other possibility out there. Yeah, it's sort of like as a, like a woo-woo note to send people <laughs> off on. Um, <laughs> Evil is nothing. Swedenborg, even though it seems like you're saying right, evil is 95% mm-hmm. of everything and there are like people that embody evil and whole structures and systems and evil, like in movies, their evil always has like these kinds of castles with a certain kind of turret in them. Like that, that's evil, right? But Swedenborg grows to great lengths, even though he describes a hell that is just like the, you know, a total monster movie. Right. But yet he's very adamant that evil is nothing. Like evil has no power, even mm-hmm. though it does seem to exert all kinds of power. And even though it seems to have substance and form, it's actually nothing compared to goodness. So somehow it's not, there's no evil. Like it doesn't, it doesn't exist in the way that you think. So there's mm. something in there. So, yeah. ooh. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do another one. Let's see if we can get another one in here as we uh, wind down. Erlin asks, mm. did Swedenborg write about the value of pain? The purpose mm. it serves. You know, we're talking about the 95% of life that we would rather fast forward through. <laughs> yes, right. Why are we doing it? And if this, if we really are going towards the heaven where God is trying to make us happy and love us oh. and everything's so good, does pain play a role in that? What's going on with it? I have a, I have a shout out to Dr. Jonathan Rose, who often <laughs> is on this panel, um, that in one of his um, Bible studies that I was li- recently listening to that you can find at spiritandlifebiblestudy.com org maybe or com um i think the one it's called suffering and transformation because he it's just you can really contemplate that that somehow there is this suffering that is just a part of the transformation process um and uh and and then i before passing it on we'll just mention our it reminds me of death as well like uh and we have our show called um, the purpose of death. The purpose of death. And that kind of gets into the purpose of suffering, too, mm-hmm. because it just, it's like that part that, you know, the door you don't want to have to go through or the goop that the caterpillar becomes before it becomes a butterfly mm-hmm. and yeah. everything. So, right. All right. Now it's an essential part. Karen? I, as, yeah. As, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I was like, I feel like I haven't heard from Karen in a little while. Karen, yeah. are you okay? <laughs> are you suffering? <laughs> Not suffering. Um, I think that uh, one thing to, well, 
one thing that's coming to mind is um, exercising and no pain, no gain. Now, if you're in really good shape, exercising doesn't hurt very much. Like when I'm in very bad shape, and I exercise or lift something and I have a lot more pain. So we are, you know, like God didn't create this system where you got to hurt to get to heaven. Um, the suffering came along because humanity got turned upside down, like Curtis was saying, um, from the original plan, got out of order, just like out of shape, out of good health. And so to get back into shape and to get back into good health involves some suffering now because we're so out of order. And just like if your body's very unhealthy or addicted to a lot of stuff and you try to get that back into order, you, you suffer because it's, you know, reacting. So I think that as things stand right now, we, we, to get back into order, we, we do need to go through these spiritual crises. I don't know that Swedenborg says specifically suffering or pain, but some spiritual crises are what kind of wake us up and help us uh, to get negativity stirred up and detox and, and reset to a better mindset. So those uh, spiritual crises are um, necessary for that, which does involve suffering. But it wasn't the original plan that God said, hmm, I think I'll make <laughs> create humanity and make it so they have to suffer to get to heaven. That, that wasn't the original plan. It's just that um, humanity has gotten out of order. Yeah, like where where was the the town hall meeting then, where we got to vote on do we want the, the suffering or not? Carter, you have some thoughts? Uh, I think those two ladies covered all of my thoughts. Okay, well, I, I'll add one then. Um, uh, it seems that Swedenborg indicates that pain is used as a last resort in because of the way it can affect evil. Uh, and that's both inside mm -hmm. Swedenborg describes people who he calls in this state of hell in which you've completely devoted yourself to destructive things and you don't care about anything else and you don't care about there's certain things he calls them external bonds that it okay I'll, I'll be nice to everyone because if i'm if i'm not nice to you you won't like me or if i'm not if i'm not nice to you i'll lose my job or something like that once mm -hmm. those things don't matter uh, you get to a point where the only thing you listen to is the threat of pain so the threat of punishment. So I don't know, we're doing a show about mm -hmm. hell where we're working on that. So the pain is like, I, I think of it almost like a language. So this is the only thing that that truly somebody bent on evil will listen to, and, and that God is using that very sparingly as a mitigation device to get them to eventually, th that is the only thing also, the only ingredient that can get you to something you deeply latch onto and love that's harmful associating that with pain is the only way for you to stop loving that thing mm -hmm. in the same way. But that's applied on, you know, if we think of ourselves, that we're not in the health state of mind, but there's still the same kind of dynamic going on in these spiritual crises because it's where this the suffering that we do go through when we are, when hell does have a little bit of access to us and, and makes us feel helpless and alone and all these kinds of things, that's when we realize that's what, that deflates our sense of pride that keeps us separate from God. And so that, that allows us, it teaches us like, oh yeah, wait, I do need help and I can reach out to God. So it's, it's almost like that's like the um, homeopathic version of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that does make me think that, that, that it does serve a purpose and, that, and part of that purpose is just uh, we, we need that contrast for our minds to grow in knowledge and understanding. And yeah. like Swedenborg talked about, or you were talking about how Swedenborg had this amazing perception that he was developed in his life on earth through his spiritual awakening and everything, and how that um, 
that was often associated with pain in his body, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but that, um, and so there is pain, but you know, like in a, on a subconscious level, pain is just another sensation like any other sensation. And so it's a means for you to understand what's going on. And, and so like what Karen was saying was like, it's not like God is willing our suffering, but it's a means of us understanding. Mm. So he does describe, Swedenborg writes about angels, um, even angels and spirits, but going through a process where their sense of self gets a little more stirred up so that they start to think of themselves as like crediting themselves or something and not living in this sort of more um, union state with the Lord and everything. And they start to feel kind of bad, you know, like they don't like it. They don't like that state. And so it's like, it's starting to feel painful for them, but that's actually just this feedback loop for them to be like, oh, okay, I'm getting a little off track here. Time to reroute, you know, reconnect with what I know to be true or, you know, and, and good. And so, um, so that's just a fascinating way that I think that pain really does continue to serve us even in the afterlife. But like you said, perhaps in this more homeopathic way, right? Or as you get used to what that what spiritual life is like. Yeah, and it's, it's you'd think, oh, it's the Holy Grail is you're, you're born without being able to process pain, but people do have that, and they have all kinds of other problems yes, right. in life. Right. Um, right. Hey, how, how did it feel getting through this show? Was it painful, or was it, did it make you grow? Because we're here at Contrasts the end of the hour. Of experience. Yeah. Let us know by liking and subscribing. Uh, click the bell if you haven't already subscribing. That's the way you'll know when we have new content coming out, so you can meet us on the web whenever you'd like. Or how'd you like to meet us in person? We're going to be in Manhattan. Join us for an evening with Off the Left Eye, Thursday, May 9th, 2019. We'll be at the New York New Church. And if you click the link in this description, there's a uh, description of this video. There's like a RSVP here. You can learn all about it. You guys are going to be there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. We're gonna be there. So, so we're going to hang out and there'll, there'll be uh, things to eat and drink and we'll have a little presentation and just mostly like hangout time because we we love the fact that we can talk to you guys about Swedenborg and we want to let you get in a word edgewise. You know? <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> so uh, I also want to say that we want to thank all of you for, for your participation tonight and your participation in supporting us as an organization. We're a nonprofit. We couldn't do it without you. Here's a little bit on how you can help make this happen. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we share all the content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. You can go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to give a one-time or recurring donation. We'd be honored to have you become part of our growing community of supporters who help these ideas reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. So that's the end of the very first episode of Good Question. Yeah, uh, such great questions. They were such good questions. Thank (laughs) you so much to all of you out there. And thanks to uh, you here, the panel. Thanks, Cara. Thanks, Chelsea. Great to get to be here. Thanks, Karen online. We appreciate you coming. Yeah, Karen. Thank you. It was fun. Have a great week, everybody. Everybody. (laughs) That's right. I agree with Karen. Have a great week. We'll, We'll talk to you soon.